Mac Power Users, Episode 677, Software Club for Fantastical. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks. I am joined by my co-host today, Mr. Stephen Hackett. How are you today, Stephen? I'm great, David. How are you? I am excellent. And we are here today to talk about Fantastical. And this is part of our ongoing Software Club series. And for those of you that haven't heard the shows before, we've done a couple of them so far. Uh, a Software Club episode is one where Stephen and I spend the first half of the episode discussing an app that uh, you know we have uh, opinions on. You know, whether, you know, we like it or what it is, usually it's because we like it. Um, but we go through and talk about what the features are, how we use it. And then we spend the second half of the episode talking to the app's developer to kind of get a feel for how that app came to be. And, uh, you know, just interesting questions with the developer. And today we are going to be doing that for a calendar app called Fantastical. Yeah, I, I really like this show format. It's kind of taking our deep dives and our interviews and smashing them together. Yes, we are. And it's getting the story behind the story, I think, is always interesting. As a power user, I like to know what kind of the developers were thinking and how they came around it. Like one of the questions today, we're going to have Michael Simmons on from Fantastic Callum. You know, it's like, why would you make a calendar app when Apple's giving one away? You mm-hmm. know, that that's, uh, you know, that's taking on something there, right? It's, it's competing with a free product. And um, I think it'll be fun, but uh, we want to talk about how we use the app first. Uh, before we get to that, um, we have a little bit of housekeeping. There's new Relay merch. Yeah, there is. So over on the the network store, there's a there's a link in the show notes. Uh, we've got a couple of new uh, t-shirts. Our, our goal is to kind of turn over the network merch several times throughout the year. And uh, so we've got two shirts. One is called Click Wheel. It's just the screen of an iPod. It's not the iPod itself, but it's got some funny references in there. Uh, I recommend it in the red. I think it looks really good in red. And then uh, we also have a sort of 90s, you know, color block kind of rad design uh, that our our designer JD came up with both of these and we've been working on them for a while. And I'm pretty excited to get mine in the mail in a couple of days. Yeah, they, they look great. Um, also, uh, housekeeping on today's episode of More Power Users, Stephen didn't tell me this, but I found out that he bought a 3D printer, and I want to know the whole story. So we're going to be talking about that in More Power Users today. I do not claim to be an expert, but I'm having fun. You, uh, I saw a picture of a dinosaur you made that is absolute proof you are not an expert. Hey, and, hey, uh, hey. <laughs> yeah, I didn't take a picture of all the things that worked out well. <laughs> okay. Well, either way, we're, I want to talk about it. I'm, I am 3D printer curious, so I want to talk to you about it. Okay. Uh, either way, uh, fantastic, Hal. Um, so, it, like I said in the opening, um, you know, Apple for years has made the calendar app uh, on the, you know, it was iCal for so many years, but now it's called Calendar App. Um, it's on the Mac, iPhone, iPad. You know, it's kind of Apple's answer to giving you a, a calendar solution when you buy any of their hardware. And uh, to be honest, I was one of the haters. You know, I was one of the ones that would complain about it all the time. And, uh, you know, and I wasn't alone. Um, I mean, like one of my big gripes with the calendar app is like when you go to create an appointment, it is insane. You've got to like type in a whole bunch of boxes and mouse and do a bunch of stuff. Whereas um, uh, third party solutions started showing up, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And one of those that started to show up was a menu bar app called Fantastic Hell. And 
uh, originally, all Fantastical did when it first shipped, I don't know if everybody remembers this, but it was just a menu bar app. It wasn't even a calendar app. It was yeah. just a thing in your menu bar. But what it really excelled at was natural language processing. Um, it is, you know, you, you would just click on it and you would type, you know, meeting with Steven tomorrow 3-5. And it would create an appointment for you with Steven tomorrow from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. It was, like, smart enough to, like, discern what you as a human were actually trying to do with the minimum amount of typing. And uh, we'll get into that later when we talk about the features, but that natural language processing has only got better over the years. Um, but then, you know, at some point it became a full fledged calendar app, you know, it kind of graduated to, to becoming its own application. And it's, it's very opinionated in my you know, in my opinion, mm -hmm. uh, when you, when you look at it, I mean, the, the look, it doesn't look like, um, uh, the calendar app. It's got a very different look. It's got uh, a bunch of different features we're going to talk about. And then, uh, eventually, uh, it went to a subscription model in 2020. Yeah. Which I'm sure we will, uh, we will talk <laughs> more about in the interview. One of my favorite things about Fantastical is they've, they've sort of kept the spirit of that menu bar app alive. So one of the main features is you get uh, a list of your upcoming events and tasks if you have those turned on and, and added into there. And even on the, the Mac version and the iPad version, that's there in the, the left sidebar. And on the phone, it's kind of the main screen. And I think it's great that they've continued that just like really data dense. I can just look in one section, right? I'm not like scanning across my big display to try to figure out where things are. Uh, just this condensed view of what I have for the day. And I think to me, that's uh, one of the strongest parts of their UI. Yeah, uh, I call it the infinite scrolling list of events. I don't know what their actual name for it is, but that's how I think of it. Because uh, I can just go to that list and scroll it down and get to any time in the future and see what I've got on calendar for that day, which in a lot of contexts is better than a traditional calendar, like hunting and pecking through a month view or something to try and find a day. And um, that is one of one of their one of their great features in the application. And I think that really kind of gets to the big question as to well, why would you pay for a calendar app when you get one for free? Well, you'd pay for one if number one you needed more than what the native free app has. And number two, there was a group of people that were willing to put in a, the effort to give you that. And, mm -hmm. you know, those are the two things you require. And, and for me, it, it's a, it's a no brainer, but um, just to kind of go back to their history a bit, um, it's always been a well-respected application. It got an Apple design award in 2016. Uh, it got the Mac app of the year award in 2020, which was kind of interesting because this started as a mobile app, you know, I mean, really, I mean, well, actually it started as a Mac menu bar app, but then they put so much into their mobile app and then they actually got the app of the year award for their Mac calendar mm -hmm. app. So, you know, they, uh, they do really sweat the details. I, I've had a little bit of influence on this app. Um, in, in that, I mean, I begged them for like a year to put a quarterly view in and they finally did it. And, um, and I, I don't think I'm the reason they did it. I'm sure they had other people asking for it too. But the uh, when they were getting ready to ship it, they sent me screenshots of the various implementations they had. And these guys, talking about sweating the details, I mean, like 
every point size, every grayscale, everything they did on that quarterly view, there were so many different options they were choosing from. And you can tell they really just wanted to get it right. And I think they kind of bring that to the whole the whole experience. Yeah, I think so too. And they they're competing against, like you said, uh, a free application. And and from the very beginning, back when it was just a menu bar app, you know, I, I used it back in that in that time frame too. Their whole thing was, what can we do? What can we do better than Apple's calendar? Or where can we shine or push the boundaries on things that Apple's not not willing to do? I mean, we we've spent so much time over the last year on this show talking about Apple's default apps and how they have to strike this balance of being built for the masses, but there are people who need more who uh, who want them, right? Uh, who, yeah. who want new features, want more power, and Apple has to walk that line. And we can debate endlessly, and we have, about how they do that across certain apps. But the calendar app in particular hasn't really evolved. It, it is basically what has been for a long time and it meets the needs of most people but what i like about the developers behind fantastical and what i like about a lot of third-party developers we talk to and we know is they look at what apple's doing and say okay what are the things that people really want or need that apple's not going to address and they build in those areas and i think that's why fantastical has such the praiseworthy history as it has because they've been able to do that in a way that is both impressive but also like we're talking about the ui being different and how they have all these features apple doesn't have but it's a very native feeling application right like it feels like a good mac app the iphone feels like a good iphone app and so being yeah. able to bring all that stuff under one umbrella is not something that everybody does yeah agreed Agreed. And, you know, uh, I would say the calendar has evolved. I mean, remember when it was the stitched leather and like, I mean, it, it has definitely got better over the years. Uh, they do have a scrolling view under some circumstances, but not the way fantastic Apple does. And they do now have a version of a natural language processor, but it's, you know, I, I think the difference is, you know, with fantastic, how you've got a full team working full time, Whereas I just don't think Apple's giving Calendar the resources that Fantastical gets. Yeah, and um, you know, and we're going to hear from people who say, "Well, I don't need to subscribe to a Calendar app. I'm happy with the the Calendar app." And if that's you, I think that's great. You know, yeah, yeah. I mean, good on you. I mean, my my subscription just came up. I, I pay for this stuff. If it, you know, you know, we make the podcast, we talk about this stuff. I guess I could ask these people for free licenses, but if I use it, I pay for it. Same. And, you know, my renewal just came up and I'm like, oh, is this worth it to me? I mean, it's not inexpensive, uh, but it totally is because the features I get out of it, I use I use every day. And and that's a decision we all make. But what I would say with this episode is stick around with us and, and hear about these feature sets and see if it's something you may be interested in. Because uh, if you do want to power use a calendar, um, I think this is probably the one you need to, to be checking out. Mm-hmm. So, so what are some of those features for you? All right, let's, let's get into this natural language processing a bit deeper because um, there's kind of like a little bit of a language to it, right? Um, the, uh, a couple of features. Like, so I use the natural language processing all day long. You know, I've got it mapped on my keyboard to control, option, command, F. And it just opens it up anytime I need it. So someone 
wants to set an appointment with me, I do it. Um, I use time blocking, which I'll talk about in a minute. And uh, so you use, I also use the natural language processor for that. Um, so in addition to the basics where I could write, you know, meeting with Steven 10 dash 12, and it would figure out that I have a meeting with Steven from 10 AM to 12 PM. Um, there are also additional like codes you can put in there. Like, um, if you type alarm, 10, then it'll set an alarm for 10 minutes before the appointment starts. If you say, um, if you just type in a location, it'll put the location in as well. Um, it, there's also a slash command, which has to be at the end, but I use that all the time too, because I have, I have an irrational number of calendars. And, uh, so in order to assign what I just typed to the proper calendar, like if I wanted to do that, that meeting with Steven and assign it to the Max Sparky calendar, I would do slash MA at the end and that would get the Max Sparky calendar in it. So I can make the assignment right there. So I type one line of text and I've got the appointment created and I don't have to go into the calendar app and click the box and then mouse over this thing and then type in this thing. It's just so much faster. The original feature still is the original feature, right? Yeah. And it's one of the best things in, in Fantastical. I mean, if you use something like Todoist or, uh, you know, even reminders to a degree has some of this, right? Where if you if you know the right kind of syntax, you're avoiding like what you said earlier in the calendar app, which is just a, a landmine of buttons and text fields, where you can very uh, very quickly to um, uh, very quickly for the uh, the entry of tasks and and events. And what I like about it is that it's the same on the Mac and the iPhone and iPad. So once you kind of get into the rhythm of using Fantastical this way, uh, it works that way everywhere. And, and natural text language and parsing, all that stuff is especially useful to me on the iPhone where, you know what, I'm probably in a hurry. I'm probably doing something on the go, pull up the phone, type a few things, have an event put down, and then move on with my day. Yeah, there's just a friction with making them in calendars that you don't get with this. And if you make a lot of calendar events, you eliminate that friction from your life entirely. That is very satisfying. It's yeah. definitely worth the price of admission, honestly, for the natural language processor. Um, but there's more. Um, you know, it started out as a menu bar app, and it continues to have a menu bar app. And uh, like the menu bar app, I have the setting turned on in it where it shows me my next appointment. Um, and how long it is until the next appointment in the menu bar. Um, if you click on the menu bar app, it drops down a nice little monthly calendar along with that scrolling list of events. So mm -hmm. you don't have to have a dedicated screen for your, uh, your Fantastical or your calendar data. Or in my case, what, what I really like is just having a full screen version of the Mac app, you know, where I've got the ability to, cause I like to look at it in year view, quarterly view, monthly view. I like to look at all the different views and there's something nice about having a dedicated space just for my calendar. Yeah. And, and the good news is because the menu bar app is basically a full version of the app in your menu bar. Uh, that's not a problem. You know, like if I need to access my calendar on any other space, I just go to the menu bar. But when I really want to dig in on a calendar, I go, you know, over to the screen, the space that has a fantastic gal. It's one of the only full screen apps I actually run. Another thing that I think is, is a really a standout area for fantastic Cal is the ability to add other types of data into your calendar. So you can have weather turned on. So you can just like see the weather. 
that is so, I cannot tell you how useful that is. Like there are other ways to do this. Like if you're not using Fantastical, there's several services that and you can Google them and find them depending on where you live that just give you an ICS and you can subscribe to them. But I absolutely love having the weather in my calendar because if I'm planning something, especially outside, I don't need to know like the exact forecast for the day, but I want to know if it's going to supposed to be 32 degrees and I'm planning a bike ride, right? That's not, yeah. those things aren't compatible for me. And it's, it's just a checkbox. And then that, that shows up, uh, but they also have this whole collection of interesting calendars that you can subs- subscribe to. So uh, holidays around the world. Uh, I've got a couple for sports teams that I follow. So uh, I know, you know, okay, when are the Memphis Grizzlies playing or whatever? And it's all within Fantastical. I'm not going out on the web and trying to find something. They're in this nice curated collection and you can add them to your Fantastical setup with just a click. Yeah, no, that's really nice. And another like kind of killer feature for me is calendar sets. So uh, Fantastical has the ability to let you create groups of calendars together and designate them as a set. Like here, as an example, um, you know, I've got this, this Max Berkey Labs thing. Well, there's three tiers, you know, levels one, two, and three, and there's a planning calendar for it. So I have the ability to see through calendar sets, like what is the content I have planned for each level? You know, what are the future events I have designated for it? And then I have separate public calendars that I share with the members and I can click another button and get a calendar set to see what's being shared out. And in the calendars app, you'd have to go manually click on and off those calendars every time you needed them. But with fantastic, how you just create sets and, mm-hmm. um, and I use, I don't know, at some point in the show, we'll probably get into it, but I use a lot of calendars and, um, so I have calendars for planning calendars for operations, personal, you know, and then the various areas of my life, you know, the labs, the field guides, the podcasts. And if I just, you know, barfed all of that onto my calendar at once, it would be, you know, it'd be very hard to figure out what's going on. Right. But with the use of calendar sets, which also tie to keyboard shortcuts and, um, shortcuts, shortcuts automation, I can push just a couple buttons and get very detailed views of what I've got planned. And the calendar set feature is like, to me, it is a a killer feature. And I could not use a calendar at this point that didn't have that feature. Yeah, I've got those set up for basically just toggling all my family calendars on and off. We used to just have a family's event calendar. That was great when the kids were small. But now, you know, they sing in the choir at church and one of them runs track and one of them is on newspaper at their school and they got science club and friends spinning. Wait, the night, wait, right? wait, wait, you got it. You got a kid on the newspaper. Yeah. Following, yeah, following yeah. dad's footsteps. That must be so. It's right? awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. I bet you're digging that. Uh, and so we, some point last year split them all out. So each child has their own and just so we can keep up with it a little bit better. I don't need those on at work. Right. Um, and so I just one of my sets is basically like just turns on the kids calendars and uh, you set it up. And again, because Fantastical syncs all this stuff everywhere, I have all my sets everywhere. It's pretty sweet. And it's way better than like setting a bunch of toggles in, in the calendar app. Oh, that's, that's madness. Because a couple of times I've gone over to the calendar app for one reason or another to try and do that. And it just makes me crazy. Mm-hmm. I'm sending you a screenshot that uh, I guess we can share. It is a list of my current calendars and calendar sets. And uh, 
The thing to know is that there's a scroll bar. Oh, boy. <laughs> Holy moly. I've seen, I've seen this before, and I think I've seen it in, in context of your time tracking as well. Yeah. <laughs> I like the one yeah. called no calendars. What? <laughs> what does that set mean? How do you use because that? I have a calendar set called no calendars because sometimes I'm doing something where I need a screenshot of just a calendar without ah. anything on it. So I have one called no calendar. So smart. So smart. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I, I, uh, let's, I'm a power user of the calendar set features for certain, um, another feature. And this one, like I said, I whined and moaned about this, but they, they did add it and it is a quarter view. It's the only app I know that has a quarter view, but yeah. when you combine it with these calendar sets and you say like, uh, like I have what I call planning calendars, which are all day events representing major events on each day, you put it into planning view and quarter view and you can see everything that's on deck for the next quarter. I love it. I don't know why every other calendar app didn't immediately copy this, but they didn't, you know, I mean, it's just not available uh, on any other calendars. Uh, additional features I like, um, it's got time zones on the screen on the right and left side. So like I can put the Memphis time zone on the right side of the screen and the California time on the left side. And then when I'm setting appointments, I can see what time it is for Steven and myself. I mean, and for that, it's not hard. You and I are two hours apart. But when I'm dealing with Rose or somebody over in Asia, that really helps me to make sure I don't like try and schedule something in the middle of the night for them. Mm -hmm. uh, nice feature. Uh, they have templates. So if you've got like an event that you do repeatedly, you can set it as a template. Like I do every day at four o'clock, I have uh, uh, calms and shutdown where I like deal with it. E That's when I deal with email at four o'clock. If you ever get an email back from me around four 30 Pacific, four 30 PM, you'll know that I was in my comms block, but rather than create that, um, I will just push the template button and it adds it for me whenever I need it. Yeah. Uh, they, you know, they're, they're all in with all the new Apple features like widgets and focus filters. All that stuff is just, you know, done well, looks good. And, um, and another feature that I really want to put an exclamation point is automation support. They went in with hard with shortcuts. Um, the labs members know about this, but I've got a bunch of shortcuts I've made where it opens fantastic out, puts it in the right view for me, picks the, you know, daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly view, and then picks the calendar set that I want. So like when I want to do planning for the labs, I push a couple buttons and the calendar transforms itself into that. Now mm -hmm. you could do that. You could do that manually. You can go in the app and push the buttons and do that, but why not just tie it to a shortcut that you can just fire off from, you know, Alfred or, you know, Raycast or whatever. So um, all that stuff I've, tr I've, I've set automations up on. They're not super complicated automations, but uh, they let me get into and work with my calendar faster. And that's because they built those features in. I didn't have to like write code to like push keystrokes or things It they've, they've wired in the views, the calendar sets and all that stuff into shortcuts. And then it also supports a lot of different services. Yeah. I mean, basically any calendar service you use on the web, I feel like they're going to support. I've got, some, a bunch of Google calendars in there, a bunch of iCloud calendars in there. You can also bring Todoist in and use Todoist, uh, have your tasks from Todoist in there, and you can check them off and that sort of thing. I mean, the, the list of, su of supported things, like I'd be hard-pressed to think of something popular that they're not supporting at this point. 
Yeah. And, and like the Zoom interface is great. All you have to do is have a Zoom link in the event and it automatically sees that. In fact, that's how I kick off every episode of Mac Power Users because Stephen and I have calendar events for each episode. We've got the Zoom call stuff in there. I never open Zoom and like go to the, I just click it in Fantastical and it opens mm-hmm. the Zoom call. Uh, uh, some new features they've added recently that are really interesting. Uh, the first one is called Proposals. And I use this one all the time. But it, basically, you can send proposed times to someone. Like if I want to talk to Stephen next week, I can tell him, look, I'm available Tuesday at 10 and Wednesday at 3 and Thursday at 12 or 1. And so he gets an email. He just clicks the one that works for him. And in the meantime, my calendar shows that I've sent those proposals out. So those time blocks are kind of like tentatively blocked. So I don't double book. And then once he picks one with the email, then my calendar updates to show just the one he picked and the other ones open up. And then mm-hmm. his calendar gets an event added. It's, it's, it's the way you do it really for me. I, it, you know, I don't like the system where uh, you just tell Hey, I'm available every day from 12 to four and people can go in and book time. I, I'm not that, I'm not that uh, freewheeling with my calendar, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, but uh, guess what? They have that feature too. It's called opening. So if you want to, you can implement that as well. But I, I actually prefer proposals, but they have proposals and openings, which is kind of a web service and kind of gets back to the idea of fantastic. I'll trying to give you more than just a basic calendar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can start, those things from the app, but like the proposal thing, right? I'm picking a time, but I want to get other people's input on when maybe the final time will be. They don't have to be a fantastic how user or subscriber to interact with that no. stuff because they've built it out on the web as well. Yeah. Well, in fact, that came up in last week's episode with Caitlin, cause I had sent her a proposal for the recording time uh, with her being in Australia. You know, we had to kind of go out of our usual window Mm-hmm. And I sent her a bunch of times with a proposal and she picked one and that's how we recorded that show. Yeah, that was a, that was a fun one to do because uh, <laughs> it was like, it was late for me. Like it was definitely into the evening time. It was a, uh, that was a good episode. This episode of the Mac power users is brought to you by one password, the password solution that Steven and I use to protect ourselves on the internet. Go to onepasswordcom slash MPU in all caps to get 20% off. 1Password is the source for truth for passwords in my family. We all put our passwords in there, and we're all always able to get exactly what we need. With 1Password for families, you can share your passwords with the people that need them. Like, my kids don't get the banking, but they do get the Netflix password. When I make a change to the password, they can go in there and find it themselves. Or even better, when they make a change to the password, they can make it for me. I use 1Password daily. It works on all my devices, my Mac, my iPhone, my iPad, but it also works on Android and Windows too. In addition to managing my passwords for me, 1Password also generates new passwords for me with secure one-time passwords that will help protect me on the internet. They are constantly improving the service. They just recently added 1Password University where you can go and learn about password security and how to protect yourself on the internet. If you're changing password managers and moving into 1Password, they'll even credit you for any remaining time on your current bill. The point is, the bad guys are working full-time to break into our internet security. You need someone like 1Password working full-time to protect you, and that's who Stephen and I have chosen. Go check it out at onepasswordcom MPU. Put that in all caps, you'll get that 20% off your family plan. Once again, onepasswordcom MPU. 
Start protecting yourself today. Okay, so let's talk about how we're using the app. Some of my methods have already been disclosed in the first half. <laughs> Actually, speaking of disclosures, a couple of years ago, I did videos for them. They wanted uh, some tutorial videos. I guess they use it mainly for marketing, but I, I made videos showing how I use it. So I guess, you know, I've taken money from them in the past, so do what you want with that. But, uh, you know, I've paid for the app and was a subscriber long before they asked me to do those videos. But um, I, I was sold at the menu bar, you know, like you, Stephen. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, there's a bunch of stuff I do with calendars. I am definitely a calendar power user as my screenshot attests. But um, I really believe in, I've written about an Xparky called hyper scheduling, but, you know, it's kind of block scheduling is what it is, is that, you know, we only have so much time. You know, that what I always say is that time is finite and tasks are infinite. So if you have a task list with this infinite list of tasks, it really doesn't give you that much guidance about what you can get done today. But if you look at your calendar, you know, you only have, let's say, eight hours today to do work. Well, what are you actually going to do? If it takes you two hours to do this one task, well, now you have six hours left. And so I'm a big fan of the idea of being intentional about that and putting stuff on the calendar. I guess you can call it appointments with myself. So like today I had an hour block to prep for this episode. Um, I have two hours blocked to record this episode. So now I've got five hours left and, you know, two hours of that is going to go into the obsidian field guide that I'm working on. And then an hour is going to go into that comms block. And so, I, you know, before you know it, the day is booked. Yeah. And it, and it's using those blocks that it's like the, it's like the ice water on your face, right? Uh, where you're like, oh yeah, I actually can't do everything. If I'm realistic about how long all this stuff takes, I actually only have a couple of hours left to do other stuff today. And, or maybe some days I don't have any tomorrow. I've got so many appointments and things. I don't have any hours left to do extra things. So um, using calendars can really help you become more realistic. And when you get to the end of the day, you feel like you did something instead of starting the day with, you know, a hundred items on your task list and ending the day with, you know, 98, you don't feel like you did anything, but if you make these blocks and you follow them, it actually does have a sense of accomplishment, keeps you on task better. And so all that stuff is why um, I'm such a big fan of this app, because all those extra features we just mentioned in the last segment helped me do that better. How do you feel about the the mixing in of tasks and uh, and events? I don't really do it. I know some people do. Jason uh, Snell famously like runs his task manager as calendar events. And I guess it just depends on how much stuff you have going on in your life. But for me, uh, there's too much in the task list to like to mix them too much. But I will have like task lists that are related to calendar events. Like, you know, there's a Obsidian Field Guide's a good example. I've got a bunch of things I want to do on that. I've got two hours assigned today to work on it. Well, I'll go into the task list and probably do some of the stuff off that list today during those two hours. But that's not really me just putting the tasks into the calendar. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I I go back and forth on it where I've kind of landed. and It works for me. Everyone's different. Is that uh, say a task like um, edit connected, right? It's every Wednesday afternoon. I will put a block of time on my calendar that is called the, the event is called edit connected really just so yeah. my wife knows what I'm up to. Cause she can see all my calendars and I know, okay, you know, if I'm not thinking and someone asked me to lunch, I can't do it on Wednesday cause I have this task. Yeah. It's still a task in my to do manager. And that's still where I go check it off. 
uh, I tend to keep them separate, but if a task is going to take a significant amount of time or if it's going to be something that has to happen at the same time, it also becomes an event. And I sort of have some double dipping there and the line between those things is fuzzy, but Fantastic at least gives you the option that if you want your tasks in line with your events, if that really works for your brain, then you can do it. And, you know, you're not getting that in the the stock calendar app. Yeah. And and the other thing that like the real kind of um, revolution for me in the last year and a half, this basically started when I stopped being a lawyer was I wanted to do a better job of planning because the Max Sparky stuff has a lot of like various, you know, soft deadlines, days that I want to publish this or that, you know, something where the world isn't going to end if it gets pushed back, but I'd like to kind of have an idea, almost like a content calendar kind of thing. Right. You know? And so I initially wanted a feature added to Fantastical where I could have it show an appointment. Like, let's say, you know, I'm working on a labs video this day, but also alter, uh, have it also show an all day event to say that that's the day I'm doing that video. And then I could look in something like the monthly or quarterly view and see the big ticket, what I'd call the planning items. And I actually, I actually talked to Michael about this, who's going to be our guest here shortly. And he's like, that's nuts. You're the only person in the world that would want that. I, you know, I think that's a bad idea to have your calendar show up in two places. And he's kind of right. And then I thought about it. I'm like, oh, actually what I really want is a separate calendar for these planning events. I, I want to be able to to slice the onion, right? I want to be able to just see the planning events and not like the two-hour block that I have to work on it. Uh, and the idea would be you show a monthly or a quarterly view and you see just all-day events with like, this is the day I'm shipping the video about shortcuts and this is the day I'm recording Mac power users. And this is the day that I'm doing a meetup with the labs and, you know, all the big ticket items that I've got on those days, just to see them in front of me. So I can kind of look at the flow and decide whether or not I'm, you know, biting off more than I can chew or if Mm -hmm. I've got extra space. And, and so I, I have set up a whole system for that. And people who are in the labs who are listening to this are probably tired of hearing about it, but like I've got automations where I can duplicate events like, the shortcut I run when we book an episode of Mac Power Users, because uh, Stephen and I share a calendar. You know, there's a shared calendar between me and Stephen for all the episode recordings and planning. But I also have a podcast planning calendar that I don't share with Stephen, but that it creates an all-day event every time we have a show booked. So I've found a way to automate most of this where at any time I can just say, show me the planning calendars, and I mm-hmm. can see kind of generally what's up. This has been transformative for me. I you know, I don't know if I'm too much of a nerd, but I think this could really help a lot of people. And, um, it's just a way to kind of see what's coming down the pike. And it's, it's just so easy. And when you've got the calendar and full screen view on a big screen, um, you just feel like, you know, I don't know, like, uh, uh, you know, what are those a captain of the ship? You know, you just sit there, you can see the look down off the bridge. You can see everything in front of you and have a really good idea where you're going. But I, I'm really a big fan of that, and that's what I'm doing with Fantastical. So I've got planning versus operations calendars now. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I use all-day events in a very similar fashion. Like, okay, this is the day that X is going to happen. And there's probably at least one task or maybe six, you know, depending on what it is associated yeah. with that. But it's just a high-level thing. So, like, every Sunday, there's an all-day event that says publish MPU. 
Well, in reality, that publication is completely automated, right? Our CMS has a scheduler. I've done it all in advance. The tweets are scheduled in advance. But it's just a reminder that every Sunday, an MPU's got to go out the door. And it's not necessarily always actionable, but it helps me shape my week. I think very similar to how you're doing. Yeah, it, it's really useful. And the um, the the aha moment for me was putting those on separate calendars. And they're just called planning calendars. So I've got like a field guide planning calendar, a labs planning calendar. Actually, I have a lab planning calendar for each level. And then I've got... Um, you know, a podcast planning calendar and a blog planning calendar and a personal planning calendar. And this stuff to me has been just fantastic. And maybe we'll do more on it in a future episode because I could actually go pretty deep on this, but uh, Fantastical's calendar sets feature is what makes this really work for me. Mm-hmm. And then we talked about it in the last segment, but the other feature that I use the heck out of is proposals. I, I send out proposals like, all the time. Anybody who deals with me is going to get a proposal because uh, I'm a control freak. And, you know, rather than send you an email, say, well, I can do Wednesdays at three or I, you know, when's your next available time? You know, what I have found is if you just send somebody a proposal, all of that goes away. Yeah. You know, you pick a couple times that are convenient to you, you send it out and they almost always pick one of them. And I, I usually only make like three proposals because I don't want to fill my calendar with a bunch of proposals. But you know, if you just pick like three times, most people are going to find one of those three works for them. And then you don't have to do the whole calendar dance. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm actually not a daily Fantastical user. Uh, I've been using it for about three weeks in preparation uh, for this episode, but I've been using the the stock calendar stuff. And using Fantastical again, like it, it is really good. So it's it's even better than I remember it. The couple of sticking points for me, uh, the big one is I don't care for their iOS widgets. I think Apple's done a much better job at data density, especially like in the medium size widget, um, where on the Apple calendar one, I can see a bunch, you know, probably four or five upcoming events and Fantastical is much more limited. Now I can mix and match, right? I can use the calendar widget and use Fantastical and that's totally doable, but I've used the widget to launch the app now for a couple of years. And so there's some, there's some weird hang up there for me. The other thing, and honestly, we're going to talk to Michael about this is that Fantastical is not a cheap application. And for me, I'm not sure it quite reaches the tipping point of being worth the 56 bucks a year or whatever it is now. And so I've I've got a monthly thing set up and I'm going to run it for a while because if it turns out like, yeah, these features actually are more useful than I remember to me or they fit my needs better now, then I'll stick with it. Because, I mean, I'm I'm not I'm, I'm totally fine paying for good software that meets a need that I have in my workflow. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely in the in the exploratory phase with this. And, and with Fantastical, it is a paid subscription, but you can go monthly. So if you do decide to try it out for a little while, you're not, you know, you're not jumping in bed for a whole year, which I appreciate. Yeah. And honestly, I think that's the right approach. I mean, if you don't feel like you're using the features, then don't yeah. get it. I mean, there's a lot of software out there that I could subscribe to that I don't because I don't think I need it. I mean, yeah. Adobe is a great example. Like I don't subscribe to any of that stuff. So you just got to kind of figure out your own mix. And I am definitely, like I said, well, if you look at my calendar list, I think it's almost unhealthy, my mm-hmm. whole calendar situation here. But I uh, uh, but I, I like using calendars, and they do help me be more productive. So 
Um, I want all the features and I want these guys to just keep putting the pedal down on this stuff because they're, you know, they're not stopping. I mean, the proposal is an openings thing. I mean, that could be an entirely different subscription from another service if it didn't already exist in my calendar app. And, um, and, and the other thing about it, I sound like I'm selling for them, but I'm not, I just, you know, I like the app, but they do it locally. They, They don't put your calendar in their cloud. You know, mm-hmm. like a lot of servers that do. So there's kind of a privacy piece of this too. But yeah, in fact, let me double down that for a second. Each device you have this on, you're signing in to your accounts on that device. And so if you use iCloud, you have to get a one-time password from Apple. If you're using Google or any others, you just sign in, you know, with their web authentication. But when I set this up a few weeks ago, I set it up on my Mac Studio first, all signed in. And then picked up my phone and saw Fantastical. I signed into my Flexibits account, but it still makes me log into each individual calendar account. And so they are not passing a login token around. They're not copying all your calendar events to some central database and then pushing them back out, right? The Your individual devices are still going out to iCloud or Google or wherever to pull your events down. I mean, they're long-term Apple developers that get it, you know, and they're they're going to be the way they do it is, is the best way to protect you. Like, and, and that was, I think one of the interesting things with openings and proposals that they, they were able to pull that out, pull that off without sticking your calendar on their cloud. And they did it, you know, so that's cool. Um, but I, I was really interested to talk to you about this. Cause I know you've been working with it and I know you were a calendar user and I could see you ultimately deciding it's not for you because I don't think you go as far down this rabbit hole as I do. No. And and um, that's cool, you know, but the fact is if you want to kind of power up your calendar and use it the way I do, apps like this are what make it possible. Like I, I could not use calendar. I mean, mm-hmm. every time I go into calendar, like for a while I was doing the labs shared calendars through I think Google. And so I was like kind of just managing that in the calendar app as like like a place for those calendars. And every time I open it up, I just want to bang my head against the desk. Mm. I mean, it's really, I mean, Apple really needs to like, you know, do what they're doing with their other productivity apps to the calendar app. Cause it, that one is not evolving the way some of the others are. Yeah. I would love to see them like turn up the volume on that one a bit, but, but either way, a uh, fantastic hell is there. It's a powerful app. Got a lot of great features. It's not for everyone, but, uh, it's for a lot of folks. And, um, and let's talk to the developer. This episode of Mac Power Users is made possible by Clean My Mac X. Clean My Mac X is one app you've probably heard about. It's so essential that many folks install it as their first app on a new Mac. It removes megatons of junk like cache files. It also prevents your Mac from slowdowns or issues like malware. What I really like about Clean My Mac X is they have all these tools in one beautiful application. You can do a lot of these things, but I don't want to have 15 utilities sprawled across my system that are confusing or hard to use. Clean My Mac X puts them all in one place. I have it on both of my Macs, and I absolutely love it. In the free version of Clean My Mac X, you have a free menu bar app that checks your Mac's health. Uh, but if you want more, you can get 5% off at macpaw.app slash MPU. Clean My Mac has been around for 14 years. They know what they're doing and they can help your Mac run at its absolute best. 
Once again, all MPU listeners will get 5% off. Check out the link in the show notes or go to macpaw.app slash MPU. Our thanks to Clean My Mac X for the support of the show and Relay FM. All right, I want to welcome to the show Michael Simmons, the uh, self-proclaimed director of Fantastical, along with a few other roles. I think CEO, broom pusher, and probably everything in between. Uh, welcome to the show, Michael. Thanks, David. I really appreciate you having me. Uh, so, Michael, tell us a little bit about yourself and your history with uh, app development. Yeah, so I got into apps in kind of a very roundabout, indirect way. Originally, I went to college for film, so that's sort of why the title of director comes into play, where I'm more of a creator, and originally, I saw myself going into film and creating experiences to take people through a story and make them feel good and give them lessons and enjoyable experiences, but when I got out of college, I really had to analyze, am I really going to move to LA and Hollywood, and how do I really get into film, and I figured out all of the barriers probably seemed low odds that I would probably have an enjoyable, successful kind of journey in that direction. So I had always been into computers from when I was a little boy. Um, My first computer was a Commodore 64. Our school had had a pet at our library, which was a very rare thing. And I was always into technology. So when I got out of college, I actually got a job with a video game company here on Long Island. I'm in New York. And that was Acclaim Entertainment. And Acclaim Entertainment was huge at the time. They did Mortal Kombat and NBA Jam and a lot of licensed products. And from that job, I realized how fun technology could be and how you could apply an experience to a technology, if you will. So that was really my first eye-opening experience to going, yeah, I think I can take all of the computer stuff that I love and that I'm good at and marry that with sort of the creative part that I want. So... To fast forward and how I got into the Mac scene, I was doing beta testing for a company in California, and they're called they were they were called ProSoft Engineering. They're no no, they're no longer around, and they had. um, Do you guys remember the drivers back in the days, the early two thousands, where you'd actually have to have drivers to mount a hard disk or to mount a CD drive? I remember ProSoft. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So ProSoft actually was like the driver standard, they actually, believe it or not, also created some of the code from disk utility that was part of Mac OS. So anyway, I did some beta testing for them just on volunteer, just testing their apps and testing you know, their user interface to their drivers. And I always had really good bugs. I, I'm really good at writing up bugs because I think at the end of the day, the way you write up a good bug is you write up your experience and what happened. So one of the engineers had reached out to me and said, man, you write really good bugs. You really understand the products well. I think you should come work with us. Now, keep in mind, I was living in New York, working in New York, and this was in California. Mm-hmm. And I was sort of always wanting to go to California, but I was like, all right, whatever. So long story short, they hired me. I moved out there. I took the chance. I went to go work there. And ironically, one of the products we had was a CD burning software called CD Master. And that became the burn of Rip Mix Burn for iTunes. Apple had acquired okay. us. So that sort of began the foray into my world of Apple. Yeah, really, really random and happenstance, but yet connected to my love for computers. So fast forwarding a little bit more, eventually I got an offer to go work with the very, very uh, prolific, although unfortunately no longer around, Ambrosia software. I'm sure you guys know them very well. Sure. And Ambrosia was very unique in that they did games and utilities, and I got to work on some of their utilities as their head of business development and product 
and that was really good for a while. And then after Ambrosia, I went on to work at Cultured Code on Things, helped launch that product, did a bunch of features and design. And around that time, I was starting to realize that I had some ideas of my own. I really wanted to make some bigger products. Cultured Code was obviously focused on things, so it's not just like they could do a bunch of apps. They were very small. So I, at the time, had a friend who I I was working on a project with. Um, His name's Kent Sutherland. He's now my business partner. He was working on a thing called Chax. Now, both of you may or may not remember this, but this was a plugin for iChat at the time that would allow you to hack iChat and do different things with the UI. It was an input It was awesome. (laughs) It was awesome. I remember when I first seen it, that's why I reached out to Kent. I was like, oh my God, this thing's incredible. You should do this, 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 and this. And he could just take all my ideas and make them happen. And he liked all my ideas. He was like, more, more. So we started collaborating. And then when I worked at Ambrosia and I worked at Culture Code, I was like, hey, you should keep working with me. And then when the idea for Flexibits hit, I'm like, we should do this. And sure enough, we did. So Flexibits' first product was actually something called Cameras. I don't know if you guys remember this as well. You may not. I think I remember the app, but I didn't know it was you. Yeah. So Cameras was a preference panel that allowed you at the time, because Apple did not have a way of selecting your camera from your iPhone, to pick which camera which which app you know which app would launch when you plug in your phone and we yeah. had that and we launched that and that went really well and then we were like okay this is kind of cool let's keep going and then came fantastical so there there's a lot so i don't know if you want to ask something else about that but that's sort of the history of how i came from being a film major to all the way starting flexibits hmm. okay just one real quick question Did, was and wasn't ambrosia the company that made that fun game with the grid paper and the plane where you would yes, shoot sketch fighter sketch fighter oh sketch i oh, love that game so much yeah. <laughs> oh, dude i could talk to you all the games we did were so great there was also harry the handsome yeah. executive and maelstrom and ev nova and on i mean the company was such an amazing company um the founder of that company andrew welch what he was amazing at is he had games and he had utilities and he acted sort of like a publisher. So he had all these games that, you know, were just from other developers that he kind of published on his own. It was really a unique company. Very, yeah. very cool. Yeah. I met him at Macworld years ago. Seemed like a nice guy. But the uh, yeah. let, let, let's get to Fantastic Hell. And like, so how does the idea come? I mean, we talked about it in the first half of the show. It's like, um, who makes a calendar app when Apple's already given away a calendar app? Absolutely. So the way it came about was, at the time when I was like, I'm ready to start my own company. I want to do my own stuff. We did cameras, Kent and I, but we didn't, we didn't have like a, a, a main product. That was more of a utility. Kent had done this project in college that was a natural language parsing machine learning engine. It didn't have a purpose. It just had a goal, which was to learn off of a bunch of data. I'm sure you guys have seen chat GPT and all the stuff that's going on now with AI where sure. it learns, right? Yeah. It learns from, from data. Well, Kent... Kent had that as a university project, something similar, obviously not as advanced, but something similar that would take input naturally, natural language, and then output to do something. So I was kind of tasked of what could it do? What's something that it could solve? And I used a calendar. I was a productivity nerd. So I remember iCal back in that day, because this is back in like 2010, iCal was atrocious. I mean, it was just terrible. Lots of clicks, lots of having to do things before you could get the event out of your head. And this was something at the Cultured Code days, we all really thought about on things is how do you reduce the number of clicks and taps and interfaces? How do we create features that are actually so quick to get out? And that was, I mean, that was just great UI design in general, but I just always remembered thinking that iCal had so many clicks and taps. So I said to Kent, hey, 
Could we enter a sentence like lunch with Stephen and David Friday at 1 p.m. and it would just automatically make all of the switches and fields and variables work? And he was like, yeah, I think so. And we built a prototype. And then after the prototype, we built a user interface. And 1.0 was only the menu bar, quick calendar on Mac, because that's how I worked. I wanted it to work with iCal. So it'd be quickly something I could pull up, quickly get it out of my head, quickly scan my schedule, and that's it. It wasn't meant to be a full calendar app. It was meant to be an add-on to iCal to allow you to use iCal to look at your calendar and sort of manage it, if you will. But Mm -hmm. Fantastical was the get it out of your head and get it going part. Yeah. When when did you have the idea to animate? Because I think one of the one of the genius bits of this, and we didn't talk about this in the first half of the show, is like as you type in the natural language, you actually watch it populate into the calendar event. It's very clever. Yeah, I call those the floating words. Um, when we were doing our prototyping, originally it was just popping, right? So you would type stuff in, and the fields would generate. And I remember as it was happening, I I thought, you know, again, user experience. People are not going to understand if it worked properly. They're not going to get the connection of entering words and then the fields changing. Yeah, the fields magically, I mean, it would change instantly. And I'm like, we have to do something to convey this. So I came up with, I think we called it originally word cloud or something. But anyway, I ended up calling it floating words. But yeah, the words float into the fields that they're going to, to describe and illustrate to you, hey, something happened. You typed something in and they went there. And then that way you get a nice visual connection and experience of knowing what happened and that it's done. Well, it was great. And um, it was like, uh, you guys had your big launch around a Mac world. I remember when it came out and uh, everybody was talking about it on the show floor. Like, it's like, well, what is this thing and how is this working? In fact, that may be the first time you and I met. But the... um, but then eventually you went beyond that. You went beyond the menu bar to create, you know, a full-fledged calendar app. Yeah, we did. So the way that happened was um, at that time, believe it or not, card hop, which I know doesn't come until much later. I was already thinking about how, how we solve the problems of calendaring with our parser and floating words and all that stuff. I really wanted to solve contacts because I hated using a dressed book. It was just a database, a boring database. So we actually started working on card hop back then. Um, it was called Card Tender originally. Well, actually, the prototype name, give you some real insight, was Dex. And then we changed it to Card Tender and then eventually became Card Hop. But the reason why I'm telling you this is originally we were going to go right from Fantastical to Card Hop. But then what happened was we had had some features in on the roadmap for Fantastical that as we were building them out, we got so inspired by Fantastical, we kind of put Card Hop on hold. And then what happened was we were starting to integrate with other apps beyond iCal because they wanted support. They were so like, oh, our users want to use Fantastical where it adds automatically to our app or has a little bit of user interface to our apps. So we started building that support. And then what we realized was as we were using it, we have to keep switching out of Fantastical to these other apps. And the user interfaces on these other apps are not good. They're either complicated or busy or frustrating, whatever. So we just sat down and you know started sketching. And I was like, I think we can make a better calendar app. And we did. So then we started to build the full UI. The first glimpse of us building our own was when we released Fantastical 2 for iPad, because that had the Fantastical dashboard, which was where you had a calendar, a list, and a scrolling day ticker. You had like three views. It was almost like where you could see like a, you could stay in that, that app the whole time. And that was sort of where we were like, yeah, we want to we control the whole experience because we think we can do a better job. 
Yeah, the, the scrolling list of events is super useful. Um, I don't think I'd ever seen that before. Is that where'd you get the idea for that? It just came from you're scrolling through your agenda. You want to continue to look forward or back. And the other thing we tied in was the day ticker, which is a horizontal strip of your days. So the list and the list is vertical. The day ticker is horizontal. They're both connected with each other. When we were designing that, that was an idea Kent had because he was saying, well, the list scrolls infinitely. Maybe we can make something that's sort of a representation visually of the days. So we kind of brought together these concepts we had of an infinite list forward and back chronologically and also historically. And then the day ticker, seeing your, your, your days, you know, being able to actually view a five day week and see it very fast under your finger, being able to control it. It, it really was such at the time when we designed it, we knew we were onto something good because we loved using it ourselves. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, and then things started to happen fast. I mean, you've got Mac apps, iPad, iPhone apps, uh, design awards, app of the year awards, Fantastical has gone from those meager beginnings of a menu bar app to a pretty big company at this point, right? Yeah, you know, we've grown quite a bit. Um, the big growth, um, and I'm sure this will be a hot topic, was when we switched to subscriptions. And that this is going to sound crazy because it sounds crazy in my own head, but that was only about three years ago. We did it November 20, I'm sorry, January 29th, 2020. So we're just coming up in five days to our launch that it'll be three in, in, in five days, three years ago, we launched our subscription model, which really was our vision of making a sustainable business that we didn't have to release an app every few years or really have to think about the roadmap from a release point of view. But this new strategy and subscriptions, which we can certainly talk about, allowed us to become better designers, developers, and product makers, because we don't know, we, we no longer had to worry about release schedules. We can just release whenever. And the company grew as well, right? Yeah, so we're currently up to about 20 people. It always depends on how you count, but I'll say about 20. And yeah, so you know, we're, we have engineers, we have designers, we have support people, we have operations people. Um, it's, it's really fantastic, no pun intended. I really didn't mean that. I didn't mean it, I didn't mean it. But it is fantastic that we've been able to take something that we love to build, that we build as just two indie developers, and mm-hmm. it's stuck for all these years. I mean, we're coming up on our, we launched in 2011, you know, we're coming up on 12 years of Fantastical, and that's what a feeling. I'm telling you, I'm very, very proud and happy. I mean, a couple of your more recent features like proposals and openings, I don't think that comes out of a company with two people, you know, yeah. it, it needed it needed critical mass to, to make stuff like that happen. 100%. We've had a lot of people tweet at us as, you know, or send tweets or whatever, where they say, oh, why do you need that many people for you building a mail app? You're building this app or that app. Why do you need so many people? But it's it's actually like you said, David, very, very hard to build features like server-based features, like openings and proposals. Our server itself to manage the syncing of all of the platforms with Fantastical and Cardop and on and on and on, it requires a lot of people. You know, this mm-hmm. is a very complex, very big app with lots of services and lots of features. And y'all do such a good job at when a new feature comes out, you want it on all of those platforms. On day one, yeah, absolutely. Right? I'm so glad you noticed that because that's part of our subscription strategy is that we're no longer doing it. Oh, we'll do iPhone and then we'll get to iPad or we'll do Mac and then we'll get to whatever. We we have an obligation now. This is like something we talk about with the team all the time. We have an obligation that people are paying us on a monthly or annually basis, which is still monthly, and we have to deliver to them. And we can't come out with something and say, oh, well, you paid for this, but we're not giving you that. 
We literally think about that all the time, that we have to deliver an equal uh, equal experience on all platforms. So yeah, I mean, glad you 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 see that because it really is something now. We, we ship on all platforms at once. Yeah. Let's talk about the business for a bit in terms of just the software business in general. You guys started as an app where you give them a few bucks and then you get the app and then you transition to the subscriber model. You know, how do you go about doing that? And, you know, what were the factors that came into mind when you made that transition? Yeah. So when we launched, the App Store was also a different place and time, right? Subscriptions weren't really a thing. And there were the 99 cent apps and the free apps and the scam apps and all that stuff. But we had made a decision early on. Well, Mac, of course, we launched just as a 1995 Mac app. We figured $20 was, we thought it probably could have been a little bit more, but we wanted to do it at a price where everyone felt, it's approachable. It is just a utility and on and on and on. So that's how we started. And then when we came out with our iPhone app, fantastic out for iPhone, we, we, we really thought hard about pricing for that. And this was something that, I mean, I spent so much time on this because at the time when it was just Kent and myself, pretty much, you know, he was doing all the code and I was trying to get a lot of the business stuff done. And we looked at the model of 99 cents and we knew we probably couldn't sustain at 99 cents building something that's a calendar app that relies on services, right? Like other calendars. Yeah, we were using the built-in calendars, but it doesn't matter. You still have to support that when something goes wrong and on and on. So we decided on, if I remember correctly, we launched at $199 and it would go up to $299. This is how long ago this was. I can't even remember, but I'm, I'm, I'm like highly certain I'm right. And I remember people kind of freaking out at $3 or even $2. Like you can't charge $2 for a calendar app. No one's even going to pay a dollar, whatever. But we did incredible with that pricing strategy. And the reason why I bring it up is there was a time where we actually beat out. You guys will probably remember this because there was a lot of buzz. We beat out Angry Birds, Star Wars on the App Store. And like for the, for us to beat out a game with a utility that costs basically $2 was just bonkers. But it really showed that we obviously hit the right price because we were able to get to the top of the App Store and have the number one app on an app that was cheaper that was a game. <laughs> it, it's it's so interesting Uh the the pricing pressure, the differences, especially in the early days of the App Store, right? Before subscriptions were even a thing, we had this downward price pressure. I mean, you just mentioned the prices of the Mac version and the iPhone version. How did y'all uh, contend with that sort of uh, those overall market pressures that you were out of your control? Absolutely. And it was hard for me as an old school. I mean, now I'm really old school, but back then I was still an old school Mac guy. I'd been I'd been part of the Mac scene since, you know, 90 whatever so software was expensive, right? Yeah, you guys remember yeah. box software, $80, $100, right? $200, like a $2 app is like a joke, especially for mm-hmm. all the work that goes into it. But yeah, the price pressure was real. But I'll tell you what we did, Stephen, is we realized that there was a quantity element. That's what they were playing with that game. If right. you charge a dollar or $2 or $3, you could probably get, you know, a few hundred thousand customers. And then that can equal what you would sell at $40 or $20 with less customers, right? It's a, it's a numbers game. But- it was hard for us to see our $20 Mac app that really required the same development as our $3 iPhone app and see roughly the same revenue because mm. of the quantity. But I think that was the power of the iPhone is that it really did democratize the ability of people to get apps that may not have normally spent $20 on it. hundred percent. I'll throw a couple bucks at it. And I like that. that. That is a good thing. I think from the pricing, now that I can look back at it, 
it was really a good thing making quality software accessible to people who didn't even necessarily want it, but would throw a couple bucks at it to get it. Mm -hmm. And it was such a bigger platform and target than the Mac ever was. I mean, basically from the beginning of the App Store in 2008, it was a market that for all intents and purposes is basically endless in terms of size compared to what the Mac did on its best day. 100% 100% and it still is, you know, it's still yeah. something that's a very unique enigma of a business because we're Mac guys. Like I, I, I get it. This is, you guys are Mac guys too. I know this, but like the business of iPhone, iOS, iPad, whatever cannot be ignored from the sheer size of it. It's crazy. Right. So I agree with you. So you've got a couple of different, a uh, couple of different apps out there, a couple of different price points, but the market continues to change, right? Apple introduced subscriptions I think a uh, a couple years into the app store, maybe, but it was like very select types of things. But then over time, they loosened those restrictions and the market has shifted to a lot of these productivity apps being uh, subscription first or subscription only. I know you guys went through that a few years ago, as you said. What were some of the discussions leading into that? And what were some things that you really wanted to make sure that you did correctly? Absolutely. Part of the journey. We had a release schedule that was basically, okay, we did Fantastical 1 in like 2011, and then Fantastical for iPhone came out roughly a few years later. I remember there was a slight delay with doing Fantastical for iPhone because we had um, we didn't really have a good idea to do the iPhone app. Like We didn't want to just release a port of Fantastical for iPhone. We wanted it to be really good. Yeah, so like we came out with the original Fantastical in like May of 2011, and then iPhone didn't come out until November 2012, even though everyone was like chomping at the bit for that. So we released that, and as we did each release, so then we did Fantastical for iPad, which we did not do as a universal binary, and we did that intentionally because I had a philosophy at that time that if you made a universal binary, you really were just making your iPhone app into a big iPad app. And I think it was really, I think it was a really bad thing, even though it was nice from the purchase point of view. Oh, you get both apps for the same price. I think it made developers not make iPad apps. I think it actually made developers make iPhone apps that just were stretched out for an iPad. So we took it from a different approach of, no, we're developing an iPad app and we're going to charge separately as an iPad app. And anyway, when we started to release everything, then we did Mac version 2.0, which was our biggest update. You guys will probably remember that's when we went to our account system and went to the full screen calendar. Fantastic L2 for Mac, I would say, was the turning point of our company because we had a $50 Mac app that was as pro and as feature rich, and I would argue better than any other calendar app out there at the time. But selling a $50 calendar app when you went from 20 and you were selling to customers that spent $3, it's a really big, big thing, right? So everything was going smoothly and well. But what we realized at that time was, yeah, we have this release schedule of like every two years and then we're getting card hop ready. And the whole train of like having to release an app every two or three years to get the bump. Because once you release an app as a smaller developer and you don't spend a lot of money on marketing or really marketing isn't effective when you're Apple only, is you have to release something big to get the buzz and to get the upgrade, right? right? You're having to go on this release cycle of, every two years or three years. And it feels bad because you're making customers wait for features. Let's say there's a big feature we want to release. Well, we can't like synced calendar sets. Synced calendar sets required a lot of infrastructure and server components, which was obviously then scheduled for Fantastical 3, which was part of subscriptions. 
But we had to think about the ongoing costs of things like servers and development and other features and adding weather and adding interesting calendars and on and on and on. But we started to think about subscription, the evolution of subscription, answer your, one of your questions is around that time where we realized, yeah, this having to do an app every few years is not really that sustainable. And with what you also said about subscriptions coming out or becoming a little more accepted, we'd noticed that when a couple apps would switch to subscription, people would riot. The pitchforks would come out. It mm-hmm. was it was clearly not an acceptable thing yet. I mean, I still don't think it's acceptable. I've gone through so much craziness with this that I just don't think there's a subset of people, let's put it this way, that just will never like subscriptions, right? They just it just is. It's just how it's always going to be. People people feel like it's renting software. I can understand it and I can empathize with it, but I also think they miss the point that there's ongoing value in the service of the software. Yeah, not every developer does that. We do. We definitely keep our eyes on the prize, like I said to you, about feeling obligated to our users to always return on investment. But basically, yeah, around that time, we evolved to subscriptions and our plan to make sure our customers would be happy. We really spent, I'm telling you guys, years coming up with the strategy of what would we do with our existing customers and what would we do for new customers? And oh, we're also going to have a free tier now, which we never had a free version. It was always pay. There was literally no way to do free unless you downloaded our direct version from our store. It was a trial, but you weren't really allowed to do that on the app store, right? You have to have a true free version. So we took our existing model and we said, okay, we're going to have a free version with a lot of features that are standard that are just good features. And that's free. And that's still here today. In fact, we've added features to our free version and we'll continue to do so. As we grow the premium offerings, we start to evaluate, yeah, what's something that we could maybe move over to free or something that isn't actually requiring as much service or attention as we thought? Because we're not just doing paid features just for the sake of them. We're doing them based upon the costs and upon the actual level of support. So yeah, um, we launched our subscription in 2020, like I said, January 29th, and the people came out with pitchforks. Oh, the other thing I left out, the really most important thing I left out is we allowed all existing users of Fantastical 2 to literally have every feature they paid for unlocked in the new Fantastical pretty much forever. I don't want to say forever. We didn't promise forever because nothing's forever. Um, and who knows what will happen in five or 10 years. But you know, we don't have any plans to, un- to, to shut them down. I think we're going to probably leave it forever. But you never want to go on the record and say forever. Um, but yeah, I just want to make it clear. We did keep all of the existing features for fantastic L2 users. So anyone who paid for fantastic L2 to this day and ongoing will still have all the features that they had paid for active with support and upgrades and support for new OSs going forward without any additional charge. So I think that was pretty fair, pretty reciprocal and pretty respectful of our past customers business. So how did the transition to uh, subscription change your business? You know, what was, the, what was the result of it? Well, the biggest result was demand from customers for support, because now that we had all these extra features that obviously the purpose of subscription was to have features that were more server-based, we had more support. So we had to hire more support people. Before subscription, we were actually operating with only about one or two support people, and then we had to go up to four support people. Um. We also had to get more engineers because with server stuff, we started getting bigger loads and bigger demands and bigger uh, requests. Also, the craziest part that hasn't been mentioned is COVID started around the time, right after the time we launched. The timing couldn't have been crazier or weirder because we launched January 29th, 2020. 
then COVID started picking up or at least becoming a known thing around February or March. And then that, I would say, combined with subscriptions, transformed our business like we never expected. And here's how. We were experts at working from home. I've actually been working remotely for like, prior to that point, for like almost 20 years, 15 years. And obviously with Flexibits at that point, we had been in business about 10 years. Kent had been working remotely for 10 years. So we knew how to work remotely very well. We took a lot of the things that we would use remotely and brought these features to Fantastical. And that was actually the impetus of why Apple gave us the Mac app of the year for that year. They even said so. There was actually a specific thing they told us that this was for contributions in the year of COVID. And we made a difference making working at home with scheduling and calendaring and you know Zoom and all the things that we do better. We added our join button. We added our parsing for links. I mean, there's so many features. I don't want to necessarily get into the features, but the point is, is that actually all ties back to that subscription and the change it made to our business. We could never have added features like that with a one-time paid app. It would have been very hard to do. Yeah, we can continue to add value. I'm not saying when you sell an app, you should just stop adding features, but we never would have had the liberty to go, hey, let's just stop everything and do all these things because we knew we would be getting subscribers ongoing and new subscribers paying. And if the features were good, then the people who subscribed in 2020 would probably renew in 2021 and on and on and on. So what it did for our business, and I think me as a product designer, was it enabled us to just make stuff as we like and don't worry about you know, the cash register, if you will. People will pay if it's good and they'll continue to pay and you don't have to do a release every few years to get them to pay. So as we sit here in 2023, what's the hardest part of being in the software business and the uh, Apple ecosystem? Um, it's the hardest part of the software business. I'll say maintaining quality, consistency, and reliability. Obviously, that's what we do. It's how we are. It's what, you know, it's in our passion and kind of our blood. But it is hard because the expectations of people get more and more that you have to deliver more and more because of a subscription. So I think what the hardest part is, is just continuing to deliver and meet the expectations of your users. Obviously, as we need more support or we feel our support times are going down or we're getting more bugs or who knows whatever happens, we will address that because we want to keep the same level of service. I mean, one of the things I'm sure if you look around, I hope if you look around, we have a good reputation in terms of our support and our stability and our products, our quality. But yeah, I think the hardest part is just as we do more and more and add more and more and provide more and more, the expectations go up. Now, when you first started college, you were set to become the next Steven Spielberg, but now you're in the <laughs> software business. What, what's the best part of your job these days? I mean, making people's lives better. And this is something that when I look back, I'm kind of glad I wasn't the next Steven Spielberg, although he wasn't, you know, he was a hero of mine and I would have loved to be. With a movie, yeah, you make people feel good and you obviously entertain them and give them food for thought and inspire them and motivate them. And that's all great. I still love movies, by the way. It's still a passion of mine. I still write. I still have an idea even for a screenplay. Who knows? You never know. Maybe one day. Everybody is, Michael. You just got to come to California. Everybody right. does. I'll yeah. come I'll come chill with you for a couple months and we'll see if I can get it going. We can go to Starbucks <laughs> and ask the barista about his script first and then, then we'll be yours. So you're saying I made the right choice by staying in New York, right? Yeah, probably. probably. <laughs> but to answer your question, the best part of my job is that making productivity apps, making software, 
that not only have great experiences, and obviously we shoot for beautiful, pleasurable, enjoyable experiences, these are actually making a difference in people's lives. And, you know, I always think of the Steve Jobs thing about, you know, if you push, something happens, you know, you put, you know, make, make, make a reaction and something counter reacts. I really feel that way in what we do. We're making productivity apps to make people's lives just a little bit better. I understand that we're not doing, you know, rocket science or, or medical advances, but we are making people just a little bit more productive. And if we can save a little bit of time out of your day and make your life a little bit more efficient, that's a really, really, really rewarding part of my job, in addition to be able to creating experiences that are pleasurable. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Rocket Money. Go to rocketmoney.com MPU and cancel unwanted subscriptions and manage your expenses. If your New Year's goal is to manage your budget better and save money, you need Rocket Money. Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill, is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. Over 80% of people have subscriptions they forgot about, like that streaming service you bought just to watch one show or that free trial that you never even used. Rocket Money will quickly and easily identify your subscriptions for you so you can stop paying for the ones you don't want. And canceling subscriptions is as easy as a click of a button. Just find the subscription you don't want, press cancel, and Rocket Money will cancel it for you. There's no more long hold times with customer service or tedious emailing back and forth. Over 3 million people have used Rocket Money, saving an average of up to $720 a year. I've been using Rocket Money now for a couple months, and I am sold. I get the notifications from them when they find unusual spending. Just recently, they sent me an email that taught me how to lower my cable bill. It's great. I've, I've never had one of these services like this that actually helps me save money. It's really good. So stop throwing your money away, cancel unwanted subscriptions, and manage your expenses the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash MPU. That's R-O-C-K-E-T-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash mpu rocketmoney.com slash mpu and our thanks to rocket money for their support of the mac power users and all of relay fm so michael when we talk to people we like to wrap up uh mentioning some favorite uh, apps and services things tools that you use to get your work done what comes to mind the big one comes to mind is slack so this is how everyone at flexibits communicates it's actually good but it's not great. And there's a lot of really weird UI. Like for example, we have calls on Slack and you could do an audio phone call mm-hmm. and they decided to add a feature called huddles and huddles were, I guess, supposed to make people in a room. Let's say you're in the support channel, supposed to make the support agents go, Hey, let's have a huddle and we can all talk rather than a one-on-one conversation. You could have the whole team join this huddle. But I guess they started to think that the huddles were so great that even if I want to have a call, let's just say with you, Steven, like we're coworkers and we're just talking, we would create a huddle. Right. But it's very strange because normally you don't just you don't just randomly keep your line open and then you would just join randomly and talk with me. It's a little weird. It would be like almost like having an open mic in my office and then you just randomly decide to ch- talk yeah. with me. It's it's I've, I've experienced this too. We use Slack. It's weird. Yeah, it's just weird. But now what they're doing, and this bugs the crap out of me, is they're, they're getting rid of the phone calls. Like they're literally getting rid of it. And now in the app, they're like, you shouldn't be using phone calls because they're discontinuing in March. Please use huddles instead. But if you really want to use the phone and they put a text link, there's literally a hyperlink. Click here if you want to make a call. Like it can't be more buried and unhelpful. So that's just one example. And I, I, I'm frustrated by Slack because... 
They had such potential to really nail the user experience. Another thing that annoys me, the iPhone app doesn't have a theme control. So where I normally like dark theme in the evenings or whatever, you can't change the theme. Like, I don't know. It's just really weird. Like it changes with your phone, but you can't override it if you want to change it. Have you looked at any of the other options to Slack? I mean, any of the other communication tools? We haven't really because, you know, it's one of those things that works, but it's annoying. I'm certain there's other solutions out there. I mean, the way things are going with Salesforce, I hate to say it, maybe it'll go away. I don't like, there's no knowing what'll happen. I know they're big, but I know there's Microsoft Teams, which is clearly blowing Slack away in terms of popularity. But Mm -hmm. I know I've used Teams and the user interface needs a lot of work and it's even worse. That's a problem with being a director of an app, right? You actually, I mean, I know, Michael, from our friendship, how seriously you take user interface. It's like, I just can't imagine being you. I would imagine almost every app just makes you angry. <laughs> well, imagine being my wife then having to hear all my complaints about all the apps that I use. And I'm like, why doesn't it have this? Why isn't there a number keypad when I'm entering numbers and on and on? Yeah, it's pretty bad. It's 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 a curse. But yeah, no, and you as well. I mean, I know even we'll talk about apps. And it's it's nice that we I know you guys, Steven and David, like care about user experiences and user interfaces, but I think we should get apps. Why do we even have to critique apps not having good user interfaces? We're in 2023, and I really feel that every app should have a good user interface by now. It's just good practice. Am I wrong? You're not wrong. <laughs> not okay. at all. Very passionate about this topic, as you can tell. Well, yeah, it's true. Like, like why can't Slack get things right? You know, um, Why can't Microsoft Teams get things right? How hard is it to just have a pleasurable, simple, direct user interface? So yeah, anyway, Slack... Went off on a big tangent on user interface, and uh, I'm sure you guys have seen it on Slack as well, so it's not just me. Um, the next one is, is a bittersweet one. Um, Tweetbot and Twitterific, shout out to both of them because they both were apps that you know kind of go between them, and they have, different, they have different user interfaces, which were both A++++. But I really want to call out you know, not only the terrible way that they were shut down, and not only the terrible way they were treated, and not only the sad end of the story, but I mean this, they were super important to me personally and Flexibits over the past 10 years. Around the time Flexibits started, these third-party Twitter clients, Tweetbot and Twitterific started, and they've always been with me. And I didn't think about this until I was kind of thinking about my list for this, but they're like old friends. They're why I think we got popular. We tweeted about Fantastic Hal, and then people would tweet, you know, back when we launched 1.0, Oh, it's amazing. You've got to see it. You know, all of the people that loved our app, like you and artists and everyone would, oh, you've, like the buzz of Fantastic Hal that was organically generated was generated through apps like Tweetbot and Twitterific. And they were critical, critical things for me personally and Flexibits. So I'm incredibly sad to see them go. I'm incredibly sad to see Twitter changing from that, you know, comfortable clubhouse where we could just all have a place that we enjoyed with a beautiful interface, because obviously their app, you know, goes without saying, I'm not going to go on another tangent. I'm going to control myself. But yeah, much love to Twitterific and Tweetbot and huge, huge impact to me and Flexibits. And I will miss them greatly. So what are some other apps that get user interface right in the app store these days? You know, what are the ones that you tell your wife how much you like? Yeah, well, one of them for sure is Carrot Weather. Um, Brian's a friend and I've known him for a long time since he started. And he he's incredible. He's a one man shop doing everything. I mean, I I'm just in awe of what he does, but the user interface, the Appleness of his things, the features that he's supporting, the 
expectations of things. It just gets it right. Another really good one is slopes. When I go skiing, again, Curtis, and he's been growing. He's been doing great. Another indie developer that's just doing fantastic. Great user interface. Great support for Apple Watch. Taking advantage of all the frameworks and things that matter. An interface that you that has an expected outcome. Really, really great. So I would name those as two just very good apps that are not only pleasurable, but doing it incredibly right. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, the series we're doing, this, you know, software club series, in general, we're picking apps that we think have excellent user interface and user experience. The last one we did was Dark Noise. And I feel like there's space in a lot of app categories for people to come in and bring like a mindfulness intentionality to the interface. And the community will embrace them. I mean, Mac people and, and iPhone people are... And we want good apps like Carrot Weather, Fantastic. Like Dark Noise is just a, a noise-generating app. But he did just such an amazing job with the way it looks that that we're all loyal to it, you know? And, and I think that is what a lot of developers just don't seem to get. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Dark Noise. That's another great app. And, and he's done a great job. The experience is great. Another one I got to mention, I don't know why I didn't mention, is 1Password. You know, I've been actually friends and I worked with them for a while. And they... They do a really good job at leveraging the right experience. As you know, they were one of the first to integrate in with the OS when that framework came out to be able to use passwords. And I really think the whole team there cares about the user experience from how can I get to my password as easy as possible? Just, just yeah, I, I think with the series you were talking about, it would be great to have almost a journal of the best apps or the best user experiences of apps. And I don't know. I just I, I find it very surprising that many, so many apps get it wrong because there's some basic premises. You just look at an Apple app. Just take the, you know, did you ever do the swipe on an iPhone? I'm sure you guys have seen this, where you swipe the edge of the screen, the left edge of the screen, from left to right to go back a screen. Mm-hmm. Do you ever use an app that doesn't support that, even though there's a back? Yeah, it feels broken. Right, and 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 they're making an iPhone app, like. How do you not have basic functionality that's in every standard app part of the device from Apple, which means they're not really aware of what an iOS app should be? So little things like that, like, I don't know, like maybe there's an opportunity here to have a primer on like all of the top 10 things, you know, we see a lot of apps not get right that they could get right. Maybe that that little you know, 10 commandments of iPhone or Mac development user interface standards would be enough to just get apps up a little rung of the ladder? I don't know. Yeah, it seems like they leave a lot of easy stuff off the table. A lot of yeah. apps do, you know, and uh, and I'm not really sure why, but maybe they just don't know better. You know, maybe that's it. Yeah, one more app I'll just throw out really quick. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen the web browser arc from the browser company yet. Uh, yeah, I'm in on the beta. I hadn't been, I've been spending some time with it. All right, I'm happy to hear. So yeah, I'm involved with them um, as actually an advisor and an investor, and they're... Their mission is really cool. Um, I'm on board. I think it's great. Obviously, you've used Arc, so you see that the user experience matters. All the feedback I've given them about the app that got to get these things right, they listen incredibly instantly and fix incredibly quickly. Like I can talk to them about stuff and they instantly get why it matters. And that's what makes for a good app. I think that's another thing too. I think if you provide feedback, I'm sure you and David have provided feedback to developers about something being broken and then it never gets fixed, right? Mm Mm-hmm. That's when you know the developer doesn't care. 
Oh, you just never hear back. Like it's like <laughs> screaming into the void. I, I just had that experience with an app last week. And like, it's so obvious. You know? Yeah. It's, and it's such a bad feeling because you've given yeah. them the answer. That's like back to my first job. I was beta testing for them, giving them lots of feedback about things that I found broken. And they were saying, oh, wow, you really know, your, you really know app stuff. Come and work with us. If you're giving a company the answer on how to fix a problem and make the app better, they should be thanking you and offering you a job, right? Well, I don't want a job. I just want them to fix it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but the, uh, well, I certainly don't want a job. But yeah I, I, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. But I just think it's such easy stuff that they could address. So yeah, I mean, Arc gets it right. Slope gets it right. Um, you know, Kara Weather gets it right. Dark Noise gets it right. I said Dark Noise, but it's not Dark Noise. Is it? A, it is Dark Noise, right? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. All right. I don't know why it sounded weird when I said it. But anyway, yeah, they all get yeah. it right. And dark the experiences. sky. You always confuse it with dark sky. I That's do what it was. Yeah, yeah, my brain went to write. Is it really dark yeah. noise? Yeah, yeah. What I like, uh, what you've done over there, Michael, is you've you've just been uh, unapologetically putting the hammer down on making calendar app with super features. You're willing to charge for it, and I get that. And I'm sure some people give you a lot of grief for it, but for those of us that need the power features that you're shipping. Uh, you know, keep doing what you're doing, man. I think you're you're on to something. Uh, I, Steve and I, there's I, there's a running narrative going on in this show, and I think in general, where Apple is suddenly taking productivity apps more seriously. And I feel like the um, like if you look at reminders and notes, and not so much calendar, but even Apple Mail, Apple is slowly turning up the temperature on those apps to make them more useful and more powerful. But I feel like on a scale of one to ten, Apple's never going to get beyond a six or a seven because you know they've got to take care of basic users more than power users. And uh, the apps that want to to jump to eleven, like yours, are the ones that are going to continue to thrive because Apple's never going to go there. And uh, man, just keep doing it. Thank you, I appreciate that, and I agree completely. I think I remember it brings me to a story. A friend of mine who makes Super Duper, which is an incredible backup app. I don't know if you guys sure. have heard of that. Yeah, we talk about it frequently. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Yeah. Dave is an amazing guy, amazing friend, an amazing developer. And when Time Machine came out, I remember everyone was saying, oh, you're going to get Sherlocked. You're going to get Sherlocked. And like, he was like, no, this is great. Apple's now promoting backups. My business is going to grow. And sure enough, the business grew. So we definitely welcome Apple, you know, coming to the productivity party. We definitely welcome. Hopefully one day they'll make a better calendar app. Because we'll be able to, I love how you said it, take it to 11. And that's why we keep doing what we're doing. We're trying to solve problems for ourselves for the calendar that we then want the user experience to be for everyone. And we think people will enjoy that. Well, thank you, Michael, for coming on. Uh, where can people find you? They can find me on Twitter, although probably not that much lately, at MacGuitar, at M-A-C-G-U-I-T-A-R. And then, of course, flexibits.com, F-L-E-X-I-B-I-T-S.com. And on Twitter, we're at flexibits as well. And, you know, that's pretty much it. All right, gang, you know, I talked to Michael before we recorded today, and he's nice enough to offer a discount to Mac Power Users listeners. So we're going to get you in there a little. So we're going to get you in there with 20% off. Now through February 20, go to flexibits.com slash MPU, and you can get 20% off either a one-month subscription or a one-year subscription. Uh, that's through now through uh, February 20. Go to flexibits.com slash MPU for the details. And, and thanks, Michael, for offering a discount to the listeners. My pleasure, and really appreciate your and Steven's time, and keep doing what you're doing. I love your guys' show. We are the Mac Power Users. You can find us at relay.fm slash MPU. Uh, thank you to our sponsors today, 1Password, CleanMyMacX, and Rocket Money. 
but we'll see you next time.